0: I think credit unions need to participate in the development of the technology as much as they possibly can, especially because they understand what the outcomes need to look like to adequately reach their members, the communities that we're serving. And when you're not at the table helping to drive that in any way, then I think that you run the risk of being left behind.
1: You're listening to 22 Minutes in Lending, your go-to podcast for insights on all things lending. From lending practices regulatory updates how to enhance lending efforts and more in each episode host vince passione connects with industry leaders to discuss the latest trends and happenings around the lending industry let's dive into the latest in lending well welcome everyone to 22 minutes in lending i am your host vince passione and i'm excited to introduce our guest for today's podcast ronaldo hardy president and ceo of the national association of credit union service organizations, otherwise known as NACUSO. So Ronaldo, is a seems as an executive, he spent about 15 years in leadership and nearly a decade as president and CEO of multiple financial institutions and was appointed president and CEO of NACUSO back this past July. He's a musician. He is a pastor. He is a self-described change agent whose personal mission statement is to change the world by building people who will change the world. So I'm excited to welcome Ronaldo to today's podcast. Welcome, sir. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So, Ronaldo, let's start off with simple stuff. What is a credit union service organization and how many are there?
0: You know, a credit union service organization is simply, to me, the entrepreneur arm of credit unions. So it's for-profit entities that credit unions have the opportunity to start or become a part of in order to solve problems that they may be having or access economies of scale through shared resources with other credit unions. The number of them is kind of hard for us to back into. So I was in a discussion recently. Some of our thoughts are that there may be more uh, around 1500 or so. You know, there are those that are being tracked right now. And then I think that just because of the nature of the industry, we're having a hard time finding them all or getting them all to come forward. And there's various sizes of them. But our thoughts are that it's probably around the 1,500 mark of CUSOs that truly
1: exist. So, Ronaldo, we're a financial technologies firm. So, if we wanted to become a CUSO, is it as simple as taking a dollar from a credit union? And then what do we have to do post getting the investment?
0: Yeah, it's literally as simple as taking one dollar from a credit union. So, once you have any investment from a credit union, you do begin the process of becoming a CUSO. Now, I know that there is governance structure that you have to work out to make sure that it's organized properly. What's the oversight? Things of that nature. The guru that would actually help you to walk through that process even better than me would be Brian Lauer with Messick, Lauer and Smith. But once you take that investment of any level, it sounds crazy to say $1 will do it. I was talking to Brian about this just recently, but I mean, that's what it really is. Once you have any investment from a credit
1: union, voila. You are a CUSO. Yeah, Know Brian well, and also no Guy Messick really well. Great, uh, great, 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 guys. Absolutely, and very proficient in this part of the business and understanding this part of the law. So now, what's the pitch? Why would a fintech want to become a CUSO? What's the value to the fintech? What's the value to the CUSO? What's the value to the credit unions that invest in it? I
0: think that fintech becoming a CUSO, to me, the value proposition there is increased collaboration with the credit union industry directly. So, you know, we are a very interesting affinity industry. Like we respond so much better to people, to organizations that we feel are more closely connected uh, to who we are as a movement. So I believe that QSOs are trusted in our industry a lot more. You also increase your opportunity to collaborate with credit unions as a fintech and to bring more into that fold with you. So that's kind of what I see. Now I will tell you that I am one of those individuals who I still like the word fintech and I understand the necessity of it. Of fintechs, I was telling someone this recently. I remember when we first started hearing about fintechs in our industry. It was like a bad word because, you know, we were only considering Outside fintechs that were trying to challenge what we were doing as an industry. And I think we we got a sense of fear about that. What would that mean for our future? But I've seen over time that we've grown out of that. And not only are we looking at fintechs from a positive viewpoint, but you're watching more investment go into fintechs as well. Credit unions are finding ways to explore that more. So I'm in that you know, frame of mind where I understand the value of both. And I do understand from a business perspective, the two are organized differently, but in many, both are after some of the same things, depending on the type of QSO that's being organized. There's the legacy QSOs that were started to kind of give us access to insurance and also wealth accumulation and management and, you know, giving us access to business lending was a big deal. Indirect lending, those are traditional models that were put in place. But even over time, we're watching some of those as they're growing and expanding and evolving, they're becoming more fintechs that are just organized as a QSO. So that's where I stand on that in particular.
1: So let's circle back. So we touched on this before the call. Historically, QSOs were more cooperatives. They were credit unions pulling together capability, outsourcing it into this cooperative and then jointly funding it. Is that sort of right? Yeah. But today what we see is more fintechs where credit unions find the capability, whether it's AI or loan origination, and they find a company that's doing it. And as a result of the QSO, they're allowed to invest in it. So are we seeing this become change more from this was all about leveraging economies of scale to reduce the cost of a service being delivered like phone centers and processing credit cards to now it's a marketing and investing opportunity for credit unions to get engaged in the venture capital world. How do you square that? You know, I think it's a little bit of both and I think it's a natural evolution
0: as well. Like responding to adjustments in consumer expectations, which has accelerated the need for the advancement of technology in order to keep up Right now, it doesn't really matter what you do. You have to move it forward through technology for the most part. So I think as that evolution really began to ramp up, and I think that we've seen the speed accelerate faster than we've ever seen before, probably over this last decade. And I think the next decade, I don't know what's to come, but I believe that we're going to have to speed up what we're delivering in the market going forward. So. You know, although the model was started originally to give access to collaboration that allowed for the introduction of solutions that were necessary to serve members, also allowed for the achievement of economies of scale through shared resources. That was the original intent. But when you insert the need for technology into that, then I think that's why we've seen such an evolution of the types of QSOs that are being developed. So that need for more technology, to me, it's causing the two to look the same in in so many ways. I feel like we call a fintech a fintech when they have not done the work to get direct investment from a credit union. And in some instances, we have QSOs that truly are fintechs in quotation, right? But they've organized themselves as a CUSO. And then I separate in my mind what is more of a traditional QSO that has been developed versus the QSOs that we're seeing that have a technology focus because, you know, there's actually still a need for both of them. So even when traditional QSOs are being organized, some of them are needing resources that are advancing them via technology, but they're still running a more traditional model. Others are really thinking outside of the box. You have credit unions that and this has been happening for a long time, but I think that credit unions have become a little bit more robust in their own departments, their human resources that they have on staff that can help them to develop solutions, and they're finding a way to be entrepreneurial and stepping into these territories that fintechs are in, and you know now they're actually becoming ones themselves so and I'm actually seeing and then I know this is like a whole different conversation, but I'm actually seeing the credit unions that are emerging themselves to organize their business strategy as a fintech, but delivering the credit union model. So we're just in this really big evolution right now. And I'm very interested to see what we're going to look like 10 years from now.
1: So evolving from the, the traditional cooperative to being more innovative and now really having the credit unions take on more of that innovation themselves.
0: Yeah, that's what's happening. you know, And What we're looking at in our organization at NACUSO, and you could see right here my background for our conference, we're taking on a theme, Advancing the Future of Credit Unions. What we see is this high need to emphasize innovation. How do we think outside the box? I was excited to see a recent study that was done by Filene that even indicated that credit unions have been more progressive as it relates to advancing innovation. But I think we need so much more of that. And as we do that, then this notion of exploring CUSOs and also partnering with fintechs more often is rising. And also, well, let me not get ahead of myself. I I was going to say also just I'll, I'll say this with the challenges that do exist and how the market fluctuates so much. I'm thinking just during COVID, everybody had this influx of cash. And so they're trying to figure out what to do with that. And some people did, they invested, they tried to find ways to loan it out. And then right now we're in a liquidity crisis and it's like, whoa, you know, everything is swinging so quickly. So I think credit unions are doing their best to keep up. They're seeing QSOs as entrepreneurial opportunities to find different ways to serve their members. To protect their bottom line as well so that they can remain relevant going forward. And I'm excited about it.
1: Hello, this is Margie Click, CEO and president of Agriculture Federal Credit Union. As a $360 million credit union, we're always looking for ways to innovate and expand our financial solution offerings to attract new members. That's why for nearly a decade, we've been partnering with Lunti to attract and acquire new credit union members. One last point on formation. So credits and credit service organizations that also look very much like venture capital firms like the Circle Fund. And my experience having built several companies and going out and obtaining venture investment, those funds typically would go out and bring in limited partners. Those limited partners are looking for a liquidity event, right? Typically a sale or an IPO. How does that change when you have a number of credit unions that invest? And their objective is to influence the technology, influence the way it's shaped and formed. Does it create a conflict with outside investors? Does it actually support outside investors? Do you see that as a conflict at all? You know, not completely. What I see it as is
0: credit unions finding ways to get in the driver's seat. And I actually love to see it personally. I spent a lot of the earlier end of my career. And it's funny to say that because I'm still absolutely young, but I'm about to be 40, so I won't be. A young professional. As of January 3rd, I move over into just professional. But I think that credit unions are understanding that we need to get in the driver's seat of what innovation looks like in our space again. And so I actually like the outcome being that credit unions want to participate in what that evolution looks like. I spent a lot of my earlier journey feeling like, man, I I would love to see us do more, especially because I consider the credit union movement itself And innovation. There were people who did not have access to financial services, needed that access, found a way to organize so that uh, all could benefit. And so I love the fact that to me, the genesis of who we are as a movement happens to be built on innovation. And I felt, you know, earlier in my journey, and and when I came in, I would think to myself, man, I just think that we could do so much more. And I would look at what was happening in fintechs. And I'm thinking, why aren't we finding ways to contribute to this? Why are we not trying to develop new organizations and models that could advance us? Why are we not exploring the technology on our own? So the way I look at it is, I think this is long overdue, that credit unions needed to jump into this conversation in a different way. I think credit unions need to participate in the development of the technology as much as they possibly can, especially because they understand what the outcomes need to look like to adequately reach their members, the communities that we're serving. And when you're not at the table helping to drive that in any way, then I think that you run the risk of being left behind. So I love what I'm seeing. I like that we're finding ways to mirror some of the things that have happened in other industries or are looking at you know what has typically worked and starting to think through how do we bring this into our model? Of course, Nick, who leads on the Circle Fund, is on my board. I, I love what he's even done with Venture Tech to allow for the introduction of more fintechs into our space and the funding of them. And we're going to do even more of that as we move forward as well. So I, I love to see it, and I personally think it's the right desired outcome.
1: No, Nick Evans. No, I know Nick well. He was one of our clients when he was at, at Viridian. and it is a, a, a pretty innovative piece of work with the Circle Fund and how that's come to pass. So I think they're on their second fund now. So it's, it is amazing the success they've had. It's
0: growing so fast too, just watching it. I'm like, okay.
1: It is moving quickly and it's a sign of what's happening in the industry, I think in general. So, NCUSA gets involved in also influencing the regulatory landscape to the extent that you can, right? Do I have that right? Absolutely. And the financial innovation and lending participation rule about two years ago, there was lots of discussion about changes that were needed there. And recently, there have been some changes to kind of streamline the rule. And one of them was around lending and eligible obligations, where the cap was basically taken off eligible obligations. Can you explain why was that so important to credit unions? Why was it important to NACUSO and others to get involved in that? I think that it was important to get involved because credit unions need the opportunity to
0: grow in the way in which they Desire to grow to reach their members in the way in which they desire to be reached. As a previous Credit Union CEO, I would be ecstatic to see this change because of the fact that, you know, I could utilize this to explore opportunities to reach my members, and not have missed opportunities in the market because of a restriction that I could not control. So that's what I love about it. It, by us putting, having this adjustment and advocating for this with the NCUA, Kudos to the NCUA for listening and making this change. What it does is it doesn't say to everyone, hey, you must do this. But what it does say is you're not limited if you want to. And I really love having that opportunity to advance in this particular area. Like I'm thinking about the amount of members that will get access to loans at a faster pace. I'm thinking about credit unions who can now make the right partnerships with fintechs to go directly to the market to where consumers are and not have to deal with as much friction in trying to advance what they're trying to do and then losing to others in the market who can already reach consumers in that way. I think that's the thing that was most critical in putting this in place. And I'm loving to see this evolution.
1: Yeah, and I think part of what you're referring to, Ronaldo, is about the discussion around having a lending queue. so. And the fact that lending QSO can make loans, and I think it's only 51% of the loans that come in need to be memorized, that the other 49%, they don't necessarily need to be memorized. Did I get that right? As I talk to my peers in the industry, we keep debating that.
0: I'm still digesting it, to be honest. So yeah, I, I think you have it right, but I'm still kind of digesting it myself. As I've been on a pretty quick pace, I had to digest this change pretty quickly, but I do understand it To This change has done just that. It's allowed for lending QSOs, it's allowed for the acquisition process of the loan to change, you know? And investing in that way, I think, is the right step forward for credit unions as a whole. And I know QSOs are excited to be able to participate in that way.
1: Yeah, I also believe it enhances liquidity, which is a topic you touched on earlier. As a result, those lending QSOs can take those loans and sell whole loans. And we're starting to see more and more discussion at different conferences around how that might actually help credit unions generate liquidity, both in the system and also outside the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's touch a little bit down on, on the people side of things. So another part of your job is really sort of being an evangelist and helping people to understand what QSOs are and bringing them all together. And I know this is an important topic for you about people and about talent and about building that talent. And- Talent is, certainly credit unions are are, are like every part of the industry, are, are also falling victim to trying to find talent, right? To get that next, you know, CEO in that spot. So what's the role that you believe you play and the CUSO plays in talent acquisition and evangelizing the credit union movement, the CUSO movement?
0: Well, the role that we certainly want to play as we move forward is helping talent to advance in their ability to innovate and to ideate better and to find ways to also bring a stronger sense of collaboration for the development of the leaders that we need in the future. It's no secret that I have spent a lot of my journey advancing opportunities, especially for young professionals. So I was really a part of that wave that, you know, right. And the earliest entry of young professionals in our space was when Brent Dixon and Matt Davis decided hey we're going to crash the GAC we're just going to go we're going to do this thing and everybody's like excuse me you're doing, you're going to do what <laughs> and and so i ended up being in year 2 of that but then starting the louisiana young professionals network and so i've done a lot of work in making sure that the future is solidified by having the right talent at the table and making sure that we remain you know which is why i'm a little sad to be kind of aging out of that but i'm accepting that i now have amassed a new sense of wisdom that I can impart into those who are coming behind me. Organizationally, we have the opportunity to build the educational platforms that will strengthen the entire industry, in particular around innovation. You will see us lean in very heavy there and what we offer from an education perspective, because I want to make sure that our minds are bright, our minds are focused and our minds are filled with capacity to think and dream into the future. And we are not the only organization that's focused on it, but I believe that around the industry, talent development is key. And not only just talent development, but also retention. What are we doing to make sure that we are developing evangelists that will remain forever and ever? You know, what I love about the generation uh, before mine is that such a passion was developed for this industry. People got in and that was it. It's like I got in and for 40 years I lived my dream of helping people. And I think that our generation, the one that I'm a part of, we found a way to do that same thing. And I'm hoping that the generation coming behind us will also find their way to energize themselves around what this movement means. So as you said earlier, my mission statement is to change the world by building the people who will change the world. So I wake up every day with the mindset to build people. I think if you build people, everything else will fall
1: in place. Now we'll put now specific skills, Ronaldo. What are the specific skills that you believe? Look at your journey, right? You need to be successful, not only just I, we get today and to participate in financial services, but to be successful in the credit union movement. So that's interesting. You know, first of all,
0: I don't think that you should be in this space at all if you don't have a sense of empathy and are not purpose driven, because I think that this is a movement that requires a, a great sense of emotional intelligence, a great sense of empathy and a great sense of being purpose driven. If I expand that out further, I've been talking uh, a lot recently about life skills that I think are necessary across any discipline in order to advance and to move forward. I think a sense of resiliency is something that's necessary. I mean, right now you're looking in our industry, you know, and I say that may not be identified as a, a as much of a skill as it is an attribute that's a part of us, but I think a resiliency is necessary because things change so quickly. There are so many things that will frustrate you along the way. As soon as you think that you have things moving, in the right direction, something is going to come to challenge you. So a sense of resiliency is important. I'm also focusing a lot on how people are developed around their ability to communicate as well. I think that is something that is underdeveloped in a lot of people. And if it were developed more, it also would lead to a lot more progress. But specifically in our industry, I think that, you know, yes, we have to have a sense of business knowledge. We have to be able to run sound business, but we are a purpose-driven industry. And I think without a high level of emotional IQ, empathy, and being a purpose-driven individual, it's going to be hard to succeed in credit
1: unions long-term. Well, listen, thank you for the time. This has been really awesome. Also appreciate all our listeners tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you can join future episodes and I'll meet you back here for our next 22 Minutes in Lending. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to part one of this two part series of 22 Minutes in Lending with guest Ronaldo Hardy. Watch out for part two as we continue to dive deeper into these topics.